Hello and welcome to this week's episode of Deep Waters, a deep dive into a galaxy far, far away. This week, myself, my brothers Ryan and Gavin will be discussing Star Wars A New Hope. We hope you enjoy. I've seen this movie dozens of times, and watching it this time, I recognized that I didn't really know what the new hope was. I mean, I feel like that might sound silly, but I mean, what is the new hope? Is it Luke? Is it the return of Obi-Wan, who then dies? Is it some sort of a communal reunion thing? Is it the fact that there's now this A-team in space that that we're dealing with like what is the new hope or what do y'all think it is that's a really good question i think like the movie begins with a loss right they're losing in the beginning of the movie they get captured and you know there's there's this the 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 this the death star plans are jettisoned and they're connected to r2d2 but um you start out at a loss, and so I think the hope is, is at the end when the Death Star is, has been blown up, that there is, it is possible to win, and it is possible to beat the Empire. It is, there, there, the possibility is still there. So there's still hope in victory, and I think that's that's where the new hope is, because I think a lot of their hope was rooted in the success of stealing the plans of the Death Star, and 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 there was no mention of the Jedi Order of this new hero or or this group of misfits who sort of succeed i think the new hope has a lot to do with we have a chance now the death star has been blown up you know i think that's what the the hope is is a hope in victory but a hope in victory because of the heroes of like han solo chewbacca and luke yeah i agree um I was just thinking part of part of the interesting part of this movie is that if you've ever seen the prequels to Star Wars, you know that like they talk a lot about like the chosen one, like they thought it was Anakin Skywalker and it wasn't, right? And then throughout the entire New Hope, you not once hear them say like Luke is the chosen one or like there's this pre-established he's gonna do it, right? It's like a group of nobodies, a farmer who ends up becoming a Jedi has to do all of these things, right? But Luke didn't end up being the chosen one. Like Anakin ended up being the chosen one. I mean, he overthrew the Emperor. I mean, he died and he was Darth Vader, but like he definitely did the thing. He definitely threw Palpatine into a pit. Yes, but he also was the one that started all of it to begin with. He didn't start all of it. Palpatine was doing all of that stuff in the background during Phantom Menace when he was just a senator. I mean, by the the Calvary. the hope was I think the hope is and and we find out once we finish the three movies, but I don't want to really what it's you're 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 right in a sense, but I would disagree that Darth Vader is he 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 did take the action to overthrow the Emperor and that did happen, but it wouldn't have happened without Luke and without Luke's vision of there is still good in you and there's still, I still see my father. Like Darth Vader would have, would have not done that had it not been for Luke. Luke is this, Luke is the hope. Yeah, I, I agree with that. Luke's got to be the hope that he instills in Vader. He like forces it into him. Like, um, like in the Matrix. No, I wouldn't say he forced either. I think his persistence, like, like Vader took the step of, of, of embracing Luke and embracing that there is light to him. I don't think he was forced to do it. <laughs> yeah, I guess that's fair. It's kind of like how in, in Scripture at one point Jesus is like, 
Um, yeah, if if the person that you know that you're begging for bread from who's asleep doesn't get up to give you bread because of your friendship, he'll get up because you keep pestering him at 3 a.m. in the morning. Yeah. Yeah, it's like he, he doesn't he doesn't convert just because he's like, oh, that's a cool new option, He or you're my son. He converts because of, I guess, Luke's persistence. That's a good point. I mean, but, but where is that hope evident in this story? I mean, where... Is it the fact that Luke is coming into his own in this story? He's becoming that hope in this movie? Yeah, especially with the way that the Force the and the and the rules and scope of the Force in the original trilogy, Luke seems to be the only one who has access to the Force in the first movie. And so it's the idea of passing on this access to wisdom and knowledge and control and 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 a greater power and i think that that's what that's what the hope is i think the hope you know probably is the force the movie is is just a a passing on of the of the object of the force of the of the access to the force and of cultivating a uh the ability to utilize the force for good um do you think that this movie is all about predestination define that predestination is this idea that before you're even born right you're set up on a journey that you have to you have to live into i mean it seems like the force is kind of in the background like oh yep you get the force but not any of you other people i mean whenever you think about all of the the spies um that died to get uh the plans i mean why didn't they get to have the force why didn't other characters in the story get to have the Force? Why is it this one guy who's grown up on Tatooine and is identical, or his fraternal twin sister? I I agree. I agree with that's a great question, and I think that question is answered in the sequel trilogy quite brilliantly. Um, but I would say that the, the the A New Hope is, yeah, it does believe in predestined or or a, a New Hope the way the movie itself without without knowing the rest of the trilogy or the rest of the prequels or sequels. Yes. Luke has a destiny, and and that's why he has access to the Force. It's all predetermined. It has no... um, It doesn't have any characteristics of free will? um, Like, does he have agency? Can he do his own thing? Because, I mean, it kind of feels forced. I mean, the the only reason that he's staying in Tatooine is because his, his aunt and uncle are like, Hey, we need your help at the farm, and then they die. I mean, is that also the will of the Force? Because that was the only way he would have left Tatooine? Or is that just the will of George Lucas? The way Star Wars operates, and I think it's it's a way that I don't know if it was intentionally done, but I think it was. it's interesting to track the Force throughout the movies. I think the, we can, I, I can say with a level of certainty that the way the Force is, is described in this movie, and it's and it's described fairly little compared to when to the descriptions in the Empire Strikes Back and the descriptions in the La- in the Return of the Jedi. Um, the Force is yes, yes. There's a there's a de- there's destiny. There's it's all about destiny and fate. This is your destiny to be a Jedi. This is your fate. And that's it, right? Like you know, in the same way that that. Uh, Doctor Strange sort of sacrifices the Time Stone in in Infinity War. Obi Wan sacrifices himself in order to keep this to to keep Luke's destiny on track in that way, right? Um, I don't know if the the 
the way the rules of, of the time stone versus the rules of the force operate similarly, but I would say that the, the action is the same. I must continue and keep on track the only way we see to defeat the Empire, the way the first movie is structured. Now, it's, it, 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 it is completely different in the second movie, and it gets further expanded upon in the third movie, and then further expanded upon in The Last Jedi, which is the, the eighth movie. Um, but in the first movie, this is its description, and, and I think that's all... From only dis- discussing the first movie is all I think all we can say, or all I can say. One of the things that's really great about Star Wars is the, um, and I want your opinions on this, is sort of the opening shot of Star Wars, um, the establishing shot, which is the opening shot. Um, I just think it's a really great way to introduce the Star Wars universe because what we come upon is after the crawl. So after the, the, the exposition and and the description of what's happening, the camera pans down and you see Tatooine, but then you see the rebel ship and it's sort of flying. It's really small. And then you see the empire ship, which is massive and geometric in shape and very, very menacing. And then the ship gets, the rebel ship gets captured. So we're already starting at a loss we're starting you know where the rebels become the underdog and we have a we have a a moment to uh attach ourselves to the rebel forces and then and then you know hope with them as they sort of travel um throughout the movie and i think it's it's really well done the way that george lucas has crafted the original opening shot to tell us everything we need to know about star wars we know who what the teams are, and we know who's the good guys and the bad guys, and we know the gist of what's going to happen in these movies, all within the first, you know, 20, 25 seconds of the movie. Uh, that's rarely been done before, and I think it's rarely been done since, where we have that level of exposition, that level of uh, description, uh, in no words and and in one shot. Um, so as, like a, as someone who really likes the way movies are shot and the way movies are crafted and edited i think this is a really really great way to introduce star wars yeah i'd agree with you I, what i think is really cool is that we don't have spaceships like that and we don't really have much filming in space and yet it kind of looks like or maybe i should put it this way it really looks like it's in space they didn't have, I mean, they didn't have CGI at the time. It was all special effects and lighting design. But, like, that's freaking brilliant. I mean, how do you do that, right? Like, I mean, I, I get that the, the camera angles are incredibly complex. But the camera angles, in addition to the fact that none of the stuff that you're working with is supposed to exist in the world that we inhabit. I mean, that's, that's brilliant. Part of, my, part of my thought process for this is, like, agreed the establishing shot shows, like, shows not only the, the the scale of the Empire versus the Rebels, but also, like, it establishes that there's been a war going on for years, right? Like, this isn't the first time, and it's not going to be the last time, because, like, ship is shooting at another ship. They must be pissed, and you find out it's an ambassadorship and, like, all this other kind of, like, political jargon that goes on. But also, like, it makes sense that the, the the scale of the Empire is so large because they built an entire uh, planet-destroying machine in space and are successful with destroying another planet and no one ever 
I mean, people tried to stop them, but no one was ever successful. Like, it just shows the scale of, like, empire, tiny rebels. You know, like, the. I think that that was also great of the establishing shot, is you don't question the fact that they have a Death Star and they have a tiny ambassadorship. Like, at no point is that is that question. No point, no one is asking the question. Well, I mean, we're curious as to why the empire has become this massive force and what happened, and that gets answered in the prequels and stuff. But, like, you know, the, the, the shot gives so much exposition to the sh- to the story that you don't really question in the very beginning what's going on because you know and george lucas does make really really i think important decisions in in so george lucas is the director of the first film but he's sort of the creator and and mind genius behind star wars um and there are a lot of instances where george lucas doesn't force us to go on this to, to like muddle through all the details there's too much going on so he he meticulously chooses the scenes that we see and the scenes that we don't see um in Tatooine uh the scene when uh Luke is talking to Obi-Wan and says I have to sell my speeder right he because yeah, he needs more money right so and then and then it just cuts to later in this later um, where they've already sold it and he didn't get as much money as he wanted, right? We didn't need because to see... Because the new model, right? Like, I love yeah, that. The we new model need, came out. We didn't need to see... But we didn't need to see any of that. We didn't need to see him talking to the seller. This is what I think a lot of movies, just the way the movies drag is we don't... Well, that's just not important. We don't need to see him selling and then getting the money and then getting frustrated in the moment <laughs> that it wasn't enough, right? There's There's no need for that to happen. Yet, he chooses to spend, you know, 12, 13 minutes with two droids meticulously panning and looking at the desert and the the robots inside of the Jawa's containment vessel, right? Like that's what's that's what he's meticulous about. In Moss Eisley, when they go into the Cantina, it is two minutes of no dialogue but just shots of different aliens talking and those types of things. That's what he focuses on. And and I think that's what's really great about and what I really liked about A New Hope, it's not my favorite Star Wars movie, but I, what makes it really good is sort of what he what what he chooses to focus on and what he doesn't choose to focus on. Yeah, I, I'd have to agree with you. I think a lot of times movies these days can be very much like video games, and then it's like, ooh, let's go follow on this quest, right? Like it's it's some sort of uh, oh, go sell this part and bring the proceeds to the builder who will then right like. Uh, all of these different random things that you might have to do in some sort of a role-playing video game. But but here, exactly to your point, Colin, George Lucas just kind of throws out what would normally be intense filler. And he's like, yep, we're going to just keep plugging forward with the story. And not the things that might be easy, but the things that are kind of hard, right? I want you to ask questions about why robots aren't invited into the Moss Eisley Cantina. I want you to question the nature and uh, purveyance of the Force. I want you to question uh, the very existence and the, um, and, the, and the technology behind something that's supposed to be a quote-unquote ancient tool like a lightsaber. Like, I want you to be thinking about all of those things and not be thinking... Um, Oh yay! Wow, he got he got how many uh, space credits for the speed? Right, like it's just uh, blown over. So part of the one of the things that I was thinking about as I was watching this movie is like to me, I have a certain perspective upon which I look at movies, and so part of the question I asked is like, what is meaningful to me? You know, like part of movies, I always find that there's there's something about a movie that keeps me coming back. Like whether it be a good or a bad movie, 
like there's some part of the movie that like I find deeply meaningful and and to me it was the relationships between C3PO art and R2D2 I found to be a very meaningful you know like I've seen this movie a bunch of times and like I've always been intrigued by the relationships between like Han and Chewie and like the backstory behind that but like after watching it this time I found great um, enjoyment at watching how the relationship between um, R2-D2 and C-3PO um, develop. Um, and the way it, it, it goes with what Gavin was saying about why droids weren't invited into the Moss Eisley cantina. Um, and I think that it, there's an interesting point in the very beginning of the movie when C-3PO says after they've landed on this planet that um, we seem to be made to suffer it is our lot in life. Like how from the very beginning droids don't even think a lot of themselves. So like them being excluded from the Moss Eisley cantina is like well, they're nobodies, and, like, they were human creations. They were created by not a higher being, but a lower one, so they have lesser, you know, things to do. Um, and I found that to be interesting, especially when um, R2-D2 was playing, I, I guess, space chess with Chewie, and um, Han tells C-3PO, like, oh, you have to let Chewie win or he's going to get mad. Um but then C-3PO, like, responds with, like, but no one ever cares about upsetting a droid. Like, why is that not a big thing either? So it's, like, their struggle for, um, to be recognized, I, I very much empathize with. And at the very end, we see, um, R2-D2, after he's been shot on the X-Wing, uh, gets put down, and then C-3PO, um, says, like, I'll gladly donate my circuits or parts, just make sure he's okay. You know, like, that though other people don't emphasize with the droids, they have a bond of their own and see who goes willing to risk everything to help save his friend. And like the bond between droids were built to just serve, I find this to be a very compelling and meaningful thing to me. I don't know. Do y'all want to talk about the Greedo thing? And so many who people, so yeah. many people talk about who shot first. I just don't care. I love how that though is the the crux. It's like who shot first. But my thing is when you listen to Ben Kenobi, like when they were like trying to figure out what happened to all the Jawas, like he's like only an Imperial Star Trooper can do this because of their accuracy. And then Stormtroopers are known for their inaccuracy and everything. I never noticed that, but that's really like, funny for, for me. That was like, oh, this is so fr-. like how has no, no meme been made. Nobody has ever mentioned this part, so I was like, who shot first? I don't give a damn. I want to know well, why the because, Imperial Stormtroopers miss. It's because <laughs> Sir Alec Guinness said it, that it's like, well, we can't argue with him. You know, it's Alec And then Guinness. from then on, they miss every shot. Yeah. Right? Except for the one time but that Leia Alec gets Guinness, hit in the arm. He's older, you know. I mean, it, it could be just <laughs> hard to see, right? I mean, well, he's also lived some life, Alec Guinness. I mean, he's he's built bridges over right. rivers named Kwai. Yeah, I mean, right, he's... Right. He's had a, a hard time. He's participated in the Lawrence of Arabia. The I, I love Alec Guinness. Like we are, we are oh very pro Alec Guinness yeah. in this podcast. <laughs> what a what a legendary guy! Oh I mean, oh man, his acting prowess is just is just incredible, and he's such a delight to watch. It's like I just want you to narrate so, my life story. It's so wholesome. It's, yeah, it's really I good. So agree. Back it's, to your back to your point though about. I was just going to say it's like Judy Dench. Oh oh. Judy, oh my gosh, Queen. Judy. We are we are incredibly pro Judy Dench. Right. This podcast. Hashtag night. Spaceship Earth. R.I.P. Um, yeah. Back to your point about <laughs> I can't even think. I'm Judy Dench is awesome. Um, 
Yeah, I actually paused it and tried to fast forward and, and rewatch a couple of times to like figure that out. On Disney Plus, they shoot at the same time. Yeah, yes, I which then, I thought was then, stupid. I was like, whole, nobody's in whole, that camp. There's this whole thing about McClunky is what he says right before he shoots, right? <laughs> and they added it. I don't know if you know this, but they added it in to when they put it on Disney Plus, and no one really knows why. And I'm sure it's been solved by now. I just. It just wasn't of interest to me. I just I was he interested. He said McClunky in the movie. Yeah, in right, Disney right book. before, right before they <laughs> shot. Like you, you, you I've, I've watched it a couple times because I'm like, this is what people are talking about, and it's funny that people notice those types of things. Um, speaking of added in things, one thing that that um, George Lucas is George Lucas. I I, I think once we're do, doing more Star Wars and talk about Harry Potter, some I think there's a lot of comparisons that can be made between George Lucas and jk rowling in that they get in their own way when they sort of make these movies um and one of the things that george lucas did was in 1997 they re-released star wars yeah. and they added in cg and that's what you see in the disney yeah. plus version is the 1997 version um and then and in the subsequent original trilogy films they sort of added in um some cg because to george lucas's um he wanted it to be he wanted to do things with star wars that couldn't be done with the technology at the time uh and so when he had the opportunity, when the, when the technology sort of advanced enough where he could add it into his own movies, he sort of re, you know, added in parts of uh, and different scenes, different characters into these movies. Not that it changed the plot at all, but it just he wanted it to add something. And, and I felt that it totally took away every time I noticed it. It was so jarring. Yeah. And I think even just the fact that you know that everyone knows or if, I'm sorry, listeners, if you don't know that this happened, but. I feel like if you've been watching this movie for a really long time, you will have known that CG was added. And every time, even if even if you're convinced by the CG, you still are like, that's CG. Mm-hmm. Whereas at the very beginning of the movie, um, and, and in the, the 77 version, you're not like, oh, this is just makeup. You don't care. It doesn't matter. And I don't know. Maybe this goes into a bigger question about artwork and can the artist go back to a to a piece of art and touch it up because they think it'll be better. I, in my opinion, I feel like it it kind of ruins it. It, it. It was good for what it did at the time. And, and the fact that it's a piece of art bound in time is what makes it so special. Um, I, right? Like if somebody came back and, uh, you know, changed up or, or just thinking of the Sistine Chapel, whenever they came back and some people, I forget, the 1700s, they were like, ah, they're naked. Let's paint... Uh, little petals over all of their genitalia, right? And then only in the 20th century did we go back and we're like, ah, no, actually, that's not the intent of it. I, I feel like it's just, it's adulterating the piece and getting away from the beauty and the magnificence of it because it's bound in time. So do you not, okay, so that brings up an interesting point, like remakes of movies. Well, pause that. That's a great question. <laughs> yeah, that's a um, good one. I have two points. One, speaking of your sort of adulterating Renaissance art, um, <laughs> oh, okay. That's it. There was an yeah. article. <laughs> there was an article yesterday I read on the BBC, and it talked about this is the third time artwork in Spain. Like this person who didn't know what they were doing tried to. You've seen the sort of the Jesus one where they sort of tried to remake Jesus, but it looks oh, more yeah. like a monkey. They call uh-huh. it monkey Jesus, yeah, which yeah. I don't like. Like the term of that, but it, it's but it's, it's very pro evolution, and I like that. Yeah, I, as a Catholic, I like that. And so, but anyway, there was another piece of artwork that was like sort of like just horribly redone uh, in, the, in the news yesterday. I was like, this keeps happening. Why does this keep happening? Um, 
because people are cheap and don't know what they're doing, but that's fine. That's that's not a general <laughs> comment about society, but but come it, it on. was a bit of a general comment. Come, anyway. Ryan, to your point though, um, wait, I had or Colin, point. sorry, what did you? Um, oh, the idea about what you were saying about sort of um, a piece of art that's it, it, it is bound in time for a reason, or like because it's bound in time, it, it has this significance to it. I like totally agree with you um, because just to talk about star wars in general uh it's it has such a the reason why i believe it's a fundamental film in our in both the conversation we have in pop culture and in society in general about these movies is it really changed and revolutionized the way that we look at effects and special effects um so some background information when george lucas was making star wars he also created a company called Industrial Light and Magic, or ILM. Uh, and ILM is the special effects company that was in charge of making the Star Wars special effects. ILM has since become a, a, an incredibly renowned uh, special effects company who has done Jurassic Park, Back to the Future movies, uh, Pirates. Um, so when we talk about Pirates and the, the amazing special effects that they used on the um, uh, Davy Jones character, with oh so the, ten, the tendrils, like that was ILM. Or um, the ship. The ship the itself, ships. the way that they filmed that, it was brilliant. So all of these, all of these really, really renowned special effects have been done. I mean, even the That's even so cool. the the recent like the Avengers, um, which was directed by John really? Wheaton, was ILM. So anyway, so they're a really big uh, special effects company, and they started in practical effects. Um, and practical effects is like notoriously difficult to sort of try to film and figure out how to film. And what, what, are, makes, what are practical effects? Um, so those are real realistic. Um, effects so when so when there's an explosion in a movie nowadays it's generally um a lot of the times it would be a special effect which means it doesn't actually happen in real life they sort of generate it on a computer um, but back then they didn't have the the technology to generate things on computers in the way they do now so they had to actually film a real life explosion happening in a particular um like the whole scene at the end of a new hope where they're sort of flying through the Death Star trying to get close to the Death Star. They actually took a camera and put it on a rig and just and 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 made the camera go into this um, human created Death Star. Uh, and they and they you know they drove the camera forward and that's why that's why it looks like the ship is moving forward um, through the through the Death Star because they actually just took a camera and they drove it through. Um, but everything was made by hand. So all these little details and stuff that you can just do on the computer now was done by hand. And so it, it took an incredible amount of work. And went over budget and these types of things. Uh, I mean, it just took so much as, time. As great art right? tends to do. There's yeah. this great documentary about Star Wars that I think everybody should watch if you're interested in Star Wars. It's called Empire of Dreams. It's also on Disney Plus, and it discusses this. And I'm probably like getting some details wrong, so I apologize. But uh, like, like they were like trying to figure out all of these like plot things, and like George Lucas was trying to convince everybody that this was an okay thing to do. They're in the middle of the desert. Everybody's dying of heat stroke you know and he's like it's fine it's fine this is my vision i get it no one knows what's happening <laughs> alec guinness is like what's going on you know like these types of things it's crazy and and meanwhile back in i think london or california the special effects department is trying to like figure out how to blow up things and it's just like they're just like madness going on but it's a testament to the the hours and of, of work that these people have put into what i love about original star wars and that is the not great explosions it is <laughs> placed in its time, right? You notice it, right? But I love it. I love the way the lightsabers look in the original trilogy. I love the way it looks now, but I I love the the sort of haphazard nature and, and the campy nature of Star Wars. And I think that's what makes Star Wars such a lovely piece of art. And, you know, and I I appreciate George Lucas's 
desire to make Star Wars more like Star Wars is now, but uh, for me personally, I just I think it I think it took away. Yeah, from and it's the art. It, I feel like it's a really genuine piece, um, and then I think like I think all really good art has that genuine qu- character to it, right? The artist is really trying to move um, the viewer uh, in whatever sense, um, and I think that that's also a part of. Uh, the frustration that we might feel towards movies that are intentionally bad uh, because they're not trying to do really anything. I'm thinking particularly here of Velocipaster. Um, it's just bad for the sake of being bad and being critiqued. I've heard of critiqued. this, but I don't know where I've heard it. Um, it uh, probably me. I have seen the movie. Uh, we don't need to talk about so it anymore. So funny story about this movie. I've never seen this movie, but my friend Dan, who is also responsible for some of the music in this podcast, um, my friend Dan and I were talking, and he's like, Ryan, have you ever seen the movie Velocipaster? And I was like, no. And then ten minutes later, Gavin texts me and says, without warning, texts me and says, I'm watching a movie called The Velocipaster. And then I knew it was going to be a bad movie from the start, because its name is Velocipaster, and not like, you know, anything else that would have been good. Yeah, it's really bad. Um, and not bad in a really bizarre way, like... Yeah, Sharknado became part of the cultural conversation. Yeah, in a yeah, it's but. it's bad in the sense that it tried to be a Sharknado and then was worse. And then from like a from a specifically Catholic perspective, uh, you know, there's there's a, a space for scandal, right? The the priest ends up leaving his priestly faculties and and having intercourse with a prostitute, um, which I don't know. That's it's not the best. Not what you want. Not really. Not what you're looking for. Um, so if you're if you're listening to this and you're in seminary, please uh, please just recognize that that's what we're hoping you don't do. Um, becoming a Velociraptor is is fine. Um. <laughs> you heard it here. <laughs> One of the things I want to talk about Star Wars too, it has a distinct look to it, not its visuals, but in the way that the camera moves. I mm. think makes Star Wars really unique, um, and that has a lot to do with two um, camera movements called panning and tilting. So panning is when a camera moves left to right uh, and basically when things are scanned in movies, like I'm just like looking around, I'm a pan it. Like a panoramic uh, photo. Yeah, like panorama. Uh, or tilting. Tilting is is it's the vertical motion, so I'm moving up and down, right? So the, the first scene in Star Wars, for example, is a tilt, right? I'm looking at stars and I'm tilting to see Tatooine, right? And for whatever reason, George Lucas loves these two camera movements, right? <laughs> Panning and tilting. I myself don't find them the most exciting of camera movements. I don't think this is, like, filmed in an amazing way. George um, Lucas, though, loves it. But yeah, I mean, it's just everywhere. It's the panning. I think I think what it does for this movie is really great because um, I, Ryan and I were talking about this yesterday. Ryan, or you might have asked the question, or I asked it to myself when I was talking to you about <laughs> it. That could have been possible. Uh, was why... Why George Lucas? Why so much panning and why so much right. tilting? And my answer was is because the camera is you, and the camera is looking around, right? This is a new world. We've already established that there's big ships, scary people, and robots. Like <laughs> we have to figure out something. So what does George Lucas do in the first like 13 minutes on Tatooine? I was just looking around. We're panning. We're tilting. You know, there's not a whole lot of movement forward and backward into and out of the scenes. We're just sort of following C-3PO and R2-D2, but we're doing a lot of panning and tilting, and a lot of panning and tilting <laughs> in the desert, right? A really, like, desolate, boring place, but then you get to the Jawas, and you get to the all these characters, especially in Moss Eisley, there's a lot of panning, right? I'm just moving up to right, looking at all these people, right? I'm staring at the, the cantina band as they're playing their, their jazzy music by John Williams, amazing score, you know, like, all of these things. 
it sets up the the way Star Wars looks because it's just forcing you to look. It's just forcing you to look around and the camera is looking around because it's interested in what's happening and you're interested in what's happening because of that. Um, I don't find it the most exciting thing. But um, you know what's going to happen like every single Star Wars movie. Like I, Before we even started doing this podcast and the idea was born, like the new Star Wars movies you would see in theaters, I would always sit there and be like, the scroll happened, read it, good, glad we stick with that idea. Then all of a sudden I'm looking at stars, next thought, we're going to pan boom, pan, you know, like, <laughs> yeah. like you, you know what's going to happen. It has its own right. language in right. that way, its own filming language. Now, I think that um, the directors of the second and third original trilogy are not George Lucas, and I think that that's okay, uh, personally. Uh, but but they're not good pans. You can tell by the pan can't Well, spell. they're not <laughs> bad. It's not, like it's, it's not like it's a bad thing. It's just that there's a lot of it, and I just, I, I, it, it's, it, it doesn't um, grab my attention in the way I think Star Wars is filmed now, and I think the, the way the directors have taken that, um, taken that in f- further further films. Uh, we'll talk about in- why Empire Strikes Back is amazing um, in, a, in another podcast, but it has a lot to do with um, pacing and keeping your attention, and that has a lot to do with the way it's filmed. I was just going to say, like you're, you're you're talking about this language for how the movie is filmed, and it just reminded me of that podcast that we listened to. Uh, a little while ago, the movie podcast, and they were interviewing the director of Mission Impossible. Yeah, it's called The Big explain- Picture. Highly recommend The Big oh Picture. My gosh, we hope not to 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 uh, copy what The Big Picture does because I think they do something great. Um, but but highly recommend that if you're interested in movies. Oh, oh, it's so fantastic. Um, and especially that episode uh, where they interview that particular director, whose name, I apologize, escapes me. But um, he just has some fantastic bylines, not only on like the creation of Mission Impossible, but also on... Um, I don't know, how to be a human. Anyway, he talks about how the Mission Impossible series itself has a language to how you're supposed to develop it. Um, uh, the main character, Tom Cruise, uh, or whoever Tom Cruise plays. Ethan Hunt. Ethan Hunt, thank you, Ryan. Uh, is always not willing to do whatever mission he's being sent on, is then asked to do a mission that is uh, that has, in some way, uh, the fate of the world in its hands, and then he goes and he completes the mission. Anyway. Um, one thing that you mentioned earlier, Colin, that I wanted to go back to, because it, it's, it's filming and it's, and it's the actual process of how the cameras are operating, is what I think is the worst 5-10 seconds of filming in the history of filming is also in this wonderful movie. Okay, wow, that's a statement. Wow. Let's see, let's see, let's what, see it what it is. It's the fight scene in Moss Eisley Cantina. Which fight scene, Gary? The, the not the fight scene between Han and Greedo. The fight goes. scene between Obi Wan and the random guy who's picking a fight with Luke. And you're like, you don't really see a lightsaber flash. You just hear screaming and an arm on the ground. But the arm, critically enough, isn't cauterized because at that point in the canon, cauterization wasn't figured into lightsaber. Into the into the lightsaber's properties. I too noticed that. Would you would you like him to pick out something that's even worse? The lightsaber is turned on, and this is rough numbers, people. Probably seven times. There's seven times that the lightsaber goes on. Only twice do you see it become like resheathed. You hear the noise every single time, but you never see it happen. From a movie standpoint, you have to understand that that. That you can't cut off an arm like you can nowadays, and you can't sh- resheath the lightsaber. <laughs> you just like you, you just can't cut an arm off and like you can today. And it's not because the MPAA is ruining the way we look no, at movies, just, which which it probably so is to do, hot take. But know. it's so diff- it's practical effects. You have to look at like that. Right. You can't just you can't just 
reshoot the lightsaber in like right the, but that plays into the expectation if we could practically do that now and hear me out Star Wars would not be as important as the technology created to resheat the lightsaber. There's a bigger story there, right. right? Which we need to cover. But, but you know, I think which which why it's it's fine for me because it's campy in that way. It's not like it's just. But it's, there are horror it's, movies it's, that it's not chop polished. Off, you, you can know? see when people are moving really fast in some of the scenes because these are all like really like practically built sets, which are wonderful, by the way. They sort of shake and rattle a little bit. Like you can see how campy it is, and by campy, I mean sort of like not fully put together and sort of like it feels like this is somebody's passion project but they don't have enough money to do what they want to do exactly so everybody's just trying to hold the thing together you know type type of movie. See I never got that when I've seen this movie. I don't well, because find I it... feel like you expect a lot. I feel like as a generation of moviegoers who's, who's grew up I guess my generation grew up with the trilogy um, and, and I guess the newer generation has now grown up with the new movies. Like, we expect cauterization. What a sad thing. We, we expect <laughs> cauterization, and we expect the stormtroopers to not be accurate, as Sir Alec Guinness has told us, but to be, in fact, inaccurate, um, as proven by a Mythbusters episode. But, like, I feel like our expectations, we expect a lot from Star Wars because we've been given a lot from Star Wars. I think that's the, the, the beauty of mm-hmm. A New Hope, is it gave us so much as in, for its audience ship. That we expect so much from it. Yeah, maybe the yeah. new hope wasn't Luke. Maybe it was a new hope for what we should have whenever we go to the theaters. And to be fair about like talking about the new hope when we're talking about the new hope, I mean it's a great question, but uh, it was not. Uh, it was just called Star Wars when it opened up in 1977, and I wasn't born in 1977, so like to talk about what that was like, um, I can't speak to. But what I can speak to is uh, after the fact, in post, once the movie was sort of had become popular, which they were happy with but sort of surprised by they added the tagline a new hope um so that so in in subsequent movies that's why you see it as a new hope you see it as episode you're, it's called episode four now um e- uh, even though it was the first of the movies made um, but it's it's trepidatiously called episode four like everyone that acknowledges it acknowledges that it is both episode four and simultaneously episode one like there's always this Which, kind of yeah. discussion whenever you say, ah, let's go watch Star Wars Episode One, And people are like, I feel like you're talking about A New Hope. I don't feel like you're talking about The I Phantom agree. Menace. I agree. Right. Yeah. But but which brings up an interesting point that I feel like would be good to discuss for those of you who are have children and have never shown them Star Wars and are asking yourself the question, well, self, how do I show them the movies? Do I do them in the order of which they were... Um, created in, or do I go in the numbered order of which I have now been given by society? And I think both, all three of us have interesting takes on this, and so my take is, like, you want the quintessence of Star Wars experience, you show them in the way of which they came out in. This is my take. Whoa. But if you want, but if you want the full experience, if you want to start from beginning all the way through, you do, you know, Solo, you include the two other movies, you include Solo, um, and then you include Rogue One. Rogue One, and then prequels, originals, Ooh. new ones. Ooh. You know, because then you get the full storyline if you're curious. But for me, I, I, I always loved growing up watching the originals, then prequels, and then... Well, you asked a great question yesterday to me, and it was... Um, and it was, just, it was just a thoughtful question, and it was, um, what movie are you excited to show your kids? Um, and I thought that was a really lovely question. Um, but to sort of tag on to that question, I think a great question is, in what order do you show someone who's never seen these movies before? And I think that's a different question than what order do you watch Star Wars in? Like, okay. like I think you have can to you, watch... Can you tease out really quick the distinctions between those, and then also answer the question that Ryan posted? Yeah, so, 
so if you haven't seen the movies, a lot of what, like, I, I do not recommend you watch the prequels first because you're going to be like, why, why the hype? Why the excitement? You have to watch the original trilogy first. So that way you, you want to know, well, why is Anakin this way? And then you watch the prequels and you're sort of satisfied by it, but not in a real genuine way. And then you watch the sequels and you're not really satisfied about that either. But you have to understand, like, (laughs) (laughs) except when you watch The Last Jedi, which is a masterpiece. But, but, you know, I think if you're watching it for the first time, you have to understand the context that these movies were made in. You have to under, you have to put yourself in 1977 when the graphics weren't great and, and it was really campy. And then you have to put yourself in the early 2000s and watch the prequels where George Lucas just had all the freedom, which was a lot. Um, <laughs> and then you put yourself into the sequels where everyone was really nervous that Disney was taking this over and were rightfully so. But, <laughs> but to put yourself into those contexts and watch it as a viewer, I think it's, it's important that we, especially growing up in the Marvel Cinematic Universe and Harry Potter with all of these crazy effects, uh, and not all of them great, but, but all of these really technically advanced effects, you have to put yourself back in 1977 and watch Star Wars. Like, it takes a lot of thought and intentionality to, to say this movie isn't amazing if you compare it to 2020 movies, but it is fantastic when you compare it to, to what, what it has done for cinema history and what it has done for, for like, Endgame would not happen without Star Wars and these types of things, because ILM wouldn't happen without Star Wars. See, I also think that A New Hope is just a delight unto itself. I mean... For me, as I'm reading like super old literature, and I'm not just talking about 20th century, I'm talking like second century. Like, the great thing about these books isn't that they're fast. The, the The beauty about these books is that they permit themselves to take time because that was what happened. You, you had to take time in telling a story. Uh, thinking about one of my favorite stories, like, the Lord of the Rings takes, you know, what, 1,200 pages to, to tell the whole story? It's glorious. It's, glorious. it's amazing. Uh, Tolkien is so attentive, though, to the trees. To, not just not just to the trees being worthy of talking about, but to the trees being described in very, very intricate detail. And I think that that's lovely. If you come at it recognizing that the story is going to take a hot second to get into the action that you're looking for and that the very nature of good storytelling isn't to just get to the climax. Um, The nature of a good storytelling is inviting you in, helping you ask questions and then helping you just experience the story that you're not having to tell. Um, And that's what I, that's what I love um, is that it respects, it, it respects the time that the viewer is giving to it. Um, and by that I don't mean it tries to cram as much action and violence into two hours as it possibly can. Rather, it says, no, I, I want to take you on a journey, which necessitates there being a beginning, which is slow. Nobody was very excited about you being born. I mean, it was like kind of cool, but at a certain point, it was also a boring experience. You didn't do much as a baby, right? But like the entire narrative of your life unfolds from that very beginning scene and the rest of it has these incredibly intense emotional moments in, in the story of one's own life. And I think that that's beautifully paralleled in stories like A New Hope. Um, but anyway, Colin, getting getting to another point. So you already distinguished between how would you show um, or how would you recommend somebody that has never seen Star Wars go about and watch it um, you said briefly, original trilogy, prequels, orig- original trilogy again. Um, how, I guess, would you show 
your kids all of the Star Wars films, or would you not show them all of them? And then what movie are you most excited to show your kids? Okay, that's a lot. Okay, so so if you haven't seen Star Wars... It's really just two questions. Okay, but there's a lot there. Um, if I were watching it for the first time and I were trying to tell somebody else to watch these movies for the first time, I would do original trilogy, prequels, sequels, and then I would do... I, I would basically do it in release history. So just the years that these movies were released and, and watch it in release history with, with, with it being um, original trilogy, prequels, Force Awakens, Rogue One, Last Jedi, Solo, Rise of Skywalker. Uh, b- because Star Wars doesn't just tell the story of, of space a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away. It tells a lot us a lot about um, where we were as a society in the time that the movie was filmed. Uh, and I just think that that both from a historical standpoint and understanding history, like it's a really great way to look at these films and saying, what are we talking about? Um, because because as much as we want to say that these movies aren't political or don't have a message or aren't um, meaning something deeper. But this podcast is, is clearly about talking about the deeper <laughs> themes. Um, part of it is like what what happened in history at that time and when what is that telling us? If you've already seen the Star Wars movies, I would and I haven't done this because the podcast, the nature of this podcast, we're doing the, we're doing it in. If you haven't seen it yet, uh, this is how you should watch it. Um, but, or in other words, release history is the short term for that. Um, I would, I would want to watch it from in the, in the, in the, in the way that the story unfolds. So sure. I would want to do prequels, original trilogy sequels, just to see what that experience is like. I haven't done that before. Uh, I will be doing that, but. Um, I, you know, if you've already seen the movies, I encourage you to try to watch it that way and, and, and just let us know what you think or if you've done it that way, uh, what that looks like. I would show uh, anybody the Star Wars uh, series in... Um, chronological history. Well, not in chronological, in, but in sequential history, right? So Phantom Menace goes first, then uh, Attack of the Clones, then... Um, yeah, and I would show I would show people it in, in the order. And Why? Uh, because, I mean, I know that that's going to be the, the, the hot question that y'all ask me in a second. For me, the why is, I think it's important that people watch Anakin fall. Because I think that it adds another dimension. Because you're you're engaged intimately in this person's life. You're engaged intimately in Obi-Wan's story. And also because I think that Liam Neeson's just an incredible actor. So why not start with Liam Neeson? Agree. In uh, Qui-Gon Jinn. Pro Liam Neeson. Right, very pro Liam Neeson. Um, I, I just... Ah, I think it's brilliant. I, I think that it's such a beautiful thing to recognize that, like, oh, Qui Gon Jinn, he's he's advocating for this boy who is too old to enter into the academy to be trained because he thinks he's the chosen one. In the exact same movement that his Padawan Obi Wan would do for Luke, right before Yoda, right like this. In the Force, and and hopefully that's not too much of a spoiler. I mean, the, that movie has been out for over twenty years. Yeah. But like, I, I I think that if you if you watch it according to that chronological or you know movie sequential order, episode one, two, three, four, five, six, I think that you really get the gravity of the whole narrative as um as as it's unfolding. And for me, it's it's that it's that unfolding piece that I think is. Just so brilliant. We can talk, though, about whether we think the prequels should have even been made, whether the the new trilogy should have even been made. Um, should have we'll been save, made. We'll, we'll, we'll save that for another But I, I think episode. that should be for a different episode. Yeah, because that's a great question, and I have lots of thoughts. I Ryan, just, to your point... Oh, 
Sorry. Why well, was just? Did you have something to say about yeah. uh, Gavin's order? My my, I've I've struggled with Gavin's order because I remember growing up and I I was born in 1998, and so the first Phantom Menace actually came out when I was a year old or around that time, right? And so like I grew up with the box set of the original Star Wars movies, and so like this was a magical box set that my dad would get mad if we like took it somewhere because it was a very special box set of these original movies right and so part of me was like i grew up watching star wars and like whoa and as a kid it's like oh my gosh like look at that like look at star wars like i don't care about cgi everything just looks real you know ever watched the original spider-man movie how real that looked when you were a kid now not so much um but like part of my <laughs> issue part of my issue though is like watching as a kid is like whoa the lightsaber fights and attack of the clones badass like i love me some yoda and count dooku like fighting stuff <laughs> you know, that's 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 cool and so, like, as a kid, I feel like I'd do my children a disservice by showing them something that's, like, really cool and good for the early 2000s in, in cinema of, like, CGI and stuff. And then showing them the, the originals where they're just like, Dad, why am I watching this movie from the 70s? This is boring because, like, there's no cool lightsaber fights. But to me, it's all about, like, the message and, like, just Star Wars and creating it, right? So, like, I feel like my kids would be like... I don't necessarily care. But, Ryan, even to that point, you're st- you're watching the, the devolution of lightsaber combat, right? I mean, whenever it's the Phantom Menace, it is literally the height of the Jedi Order, right? And so you see these fantastic sequences, and especially the duel on Mustafar, right, between these two Jedi Masters. Well, okay, Anakin's not a master, but he's a little pissy about that. That's kind of the whole basis of the movie. Anyway, um... <laughs> No, but oh. see, like, to that point, though, like, you're, you're watching Anakin unfold. I can't watch Hayden Christensen. Like, part of okay, me like, he's whiny, but... But, but part of me loves the, the original Darth... Like, you don't know any relationships. Like, you think Luke and Leia are gonna, like, fall in love. Turns out, they're related. Like, that's, that's a huge moment. And then, like, you think Darth Vader's bad, and then Darth Vader's still bad, but he's the father. And you're like, how does this work? And then, like, then you see, at the end, Darth Vader. So I feel like... If you take Darth Vader as a character, you don't need Anakin because Anakin has his own reasons for doing it. But Darth Vader is not Anakin. He becomes something different. And so to watch Darth Vader and like, wow, his love for his child. And then go back and watch the prequels and be like, wow, his love for his child or his wife. You know, like at that point, it's like, I find that to be more compelling. That's my hot take. Well, I mean, I think, okay, we can talk about this later. I think at the end of the day, Anakin is corrupted by a false understanding of love. Um, and that only in the presence of his uh, son is he actually able to reconcile with a true understanding of an agopic form of self-sacrificial love. Anyway, uh, my point about the lightsaber fights <laughs> is that like, you go from the height of the Jedi Council to, okay, well, the only person that, uh, oh, the only two Jedis left are Master Yoda and Master Obi-Wan. Master Obi-Wan is ancient, uh, because he's a human, um, and so his body is frail, so that fight's not going to be super cool, because your boy can only move so much. Yoda's old, but it's, it's, it's different. Yeah, but the age difference but, still is a bit but, weird, but though. But even, like, even when Luke is fighting, the fights are very powerful and physical, right? I think Mark Hamill does a great job whenever it comes to the physicality of those lightsaber fights, but they're not elegant, Right? Because he only had brief training from the only Jedi Master left on the Millennium Falcon, and that was his whole instruction in lightsaber combat. And then, and then you get into the, the new trilogy, and both Rey and Kylo Ren don't know how the hell to swing a lightsaber because nobody's ever taught him how to do it. Right? And it's big hack slash stuff. 
And, and I feel like that's a, even though it's not as artistic to your point, I mean, nothing's quite as artistic as that uh, good, but also failed fight scene in The Last Jedi um, in the in the throne room. Oh, the red room. Okay, yes. Uh, which is like a fun fight, but like stunt-wise, they really could have done a better job filming. It's still not elegant, um, I guess, is, is my point. Um, I mean, the reason why I would say the original trilogy, I mean, the, the release history is because um, when I was saying about the, watching movies within the cultural context that they're sort of being made in, what I also mean is Gavin's talking about uh, character development. Uh, and and if, if you're watching it for character, I agree with that. But one of the things I was watching when I've, I've, I recently binged the, the original trilogy and I'm going to be uh, watching all the rest of the Star Wars movies in quick succession so that way I can develop an, a great understanding of all of them together as, a, as, a, as one complete narrative. One of the things I'm looking at is the Force and tracking the way in which the Force operates and the way in which the Force um, is understood and, at the, and, and, and the unveiling of the Force and the way the Force works uh, is the reason why I would say the release history. Because the Force, the Metachlorians is an explanation of the Force in the prequels that... that Nobody else. Well, that, 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 and we can talk about this once we've seen all the films, because I really think it's, it's a really interesting way. It's very much, it's very much destiny. It's very much, you have to be the one who has the enough Metachlorians in order to, to, to be able to wield the Force properly. Whereas, you know, as we get towards the sequels, it begins to open up this world and open up this idea of the forest where more people have access to it. A kid with a broom has access to it. Anyway, you know, these, the, and, and, well, the idea and, that hopefully... anyone can have access to this thing that, 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 um, that binds us together. And, and, you know, I don't want to talk too much more about it because I think we would do other movies a disservice if we, if we, if we put it within that context, but, uh, I would watch the original trilogy because what I'm looking for is the character of the Force and how the Force acts, uh, and less so the characters of the characters. Mm, interesting. So this week we are doing a recommendation section. So each of us are sort of, um, we're all quarantined at home together, which is sort of a, a rare occurrence. Um, since we're all in college now, we all sort of do our own things, read our own things, watch our own things. So this week, uh, I'm just curious, what do you guys recommend for our audience to listen to, to watch, to read? What have you been eating up and, and what, what do you recommend that people consume this week? As a family, we've been watching uh, this great TV show. It's really hilarious. It's called Community. I wouldn't recommend it for families with young kids, but I think it's hilarious. Um, or at least not to watch as a family, right? Uh, you as a couple can definitely watch it. I, I think it's great. I think it's really fun. I think it's the the characters are really great. I, I love the interplay between the characters. I think it's I think it's fantastic. Um, and as far as books go, I think I would recommend uh, this book, this great book uh, from the twentieth century by a guy named Charles Pagui. He was a French poet, uh, and he wrote a book called A Portal Through the Mystery of Hope. It's a fantastic. Uh, long uh, poem, uh, about 120 pages, but it, it, it charts, in a sense, God's own thoughts regarding creation, regarding humanity, regarding uh, God's delight in the human person. So it's this beautiful sort of stream of conscience poem from uh, God's perspective uh, as, he, as he delights in 
his human creation. So a beautiful read, and I think very fitting to our topic this week. Uh, what I've been reading a bit is uh, Thermodynamics by Wiley. Ooh, um, excellent. So, yeah, I know it's a riveting book. Um, if you like, Light reading. Light reading. You know, I do it at night before I fall asleep. It kind of puts me to sleep. Um, I know that's just more of a fun thing because I'm an engineer and just interested in, in that kind of stuff. Um, but more seriously, the things that I actually recommend to our audience, I watched The Crown on Netflix. It's probably a bit old now, me saying this. Um, y'all have probably seen it, but it's very good about the British monarchy, um, mostly based on true events, but told from a um, the writer and director's own perspective. But it, I love it because it's very much the struggle between the queen and the king and, and, and her people, um, which, which very much humanizes the Queen of England. And being an American, I don't really know much about the monarchy, but it's, it definitely lets me know that that's not the job I want, and nor do I ever want that high of a position. Uh, but I think it's a very good uh, show that you check out. And you were saying it, it, you have sympathy for um, uh, Meghan Markle's wanting to leave the... Right, the... I do have sympathy for Meghan Markle. Like, like I watch her love her in suits, and it's like, wow, you're fantastic. And then it's like, you want to go, you want to do that? Like, you sure? Like, because I'm watching this show, and I'm like, I don't want to step foot near there. Like, I could not handle the sophistication. I would love the sophistication of wearing a suit all the time and having nice cocktails, and that that's fine, but like the stress of running a country and trying to run your family, like that part I find just to be very emotionally gripping. Um, I'm not even a parent, and I find that just to be, you know, quite difficult to watch. Um, Colin? Yeah, so this week I've been, uh, I'm, I really want to be good at talking about movies. Uh, just from a hobby perspective, I love movies, and I want to get good at, at recognizing what good art is and what good film is. So my so 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 this podcast is partly my attempts to do that. Um, I'm certainly no expert, but I, I've been going through all of the 2020 or the yeah it was 2020 the 2020 Oscar winners uh, because COVID happened after the the Oscars. Um, and I was recently watching Noah Baumbach's Marriage Story, which is on Netflix. Uh, it's it's the story of divorce between this couple uh, and their young son. Watch it this morning. It's it's truly an amazing movie. Looking at and and observing love and the struggle of love in divorce and the it's just, it just found it incredibly moving um, and and Gavin to Gavin's point about just talking earlier about movies being slow and just allowing you to take in what's happening like this this movie is told in in in, in a really wonderful way these little vignettes about the the story of this couple's divorce and and just how much they love each other. In, in, in just a really real and deep way, yet yet the divorce is sort of still happening, and the, and the divorce happens. But but their 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 attempts to bestow their love upon their child, uh, and, and and attempts to be genuine, it just it for me it shows the difficulty of being a parent and the difficulty of being a single parent, and and just watching that struggle unfold and watching the pain, you know, of a of a of a relationship that doesn't work out. I just you know I, I found an incredibly moving piece of of art and really helps to, it's just rather eye-opening. So if you, if you're interested in sort of, um, dramatic, uh, movies or, you know, Oscar winners, um, I, I would check out Marriage Story. 